You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. There's no more death. There's no more sin. There's no more temptation. The earth and its inhabitants are henceforth to thrive in the fullest vigor forever. And none will ever age, if you can imagine that. We can't because it's something that we can't even, you know, wrap our heads around. Nothing will ever be lost. So think about it. We're about to go from thorns and thistles to eternal fruitfulness. God has created some astoundingly beautiful things in this world, and man, his most valued creation, has carried on in his creativity to create man-made wonders that reflect his glory as well. Sadly, in our fallen nature, we frequently misuse and abuse this gift he's given, and we miss out on enjoying his creation to the fullest. But as Pastor Mike will explain in today's message, that won't be an issue in eternity. For those who believe in Christ, will experience unmarred eternal wholeness. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 22 as he begins his message, The River of Life. our Bibles. We're in chapter 22. So grab your Bible and open with me there, if you would. So Revelation chapter uh, 22. Let me set up this Bible study for you. Here in the final chapter of the entire Bible, John uh, continues with his description of the city of Jerusalem. Now let's go back a little bit and uh, remember according to the measurements that were Uh, provided for us in the previous chapter, in chapter 21, there is over 3 billion cubic miles in this city that comes down from heaven, this new city of Jerusalem, which could accommodate over 3 billion inhabitants, each occupying one square mile. And that new city of Jerusalem is about the size of the moon. So I hope that this is an encouraging to uh, an encouragement to all of you who are living in presently studio apartments. If you can imagine that, three billion people will actually be able to uh, live within this city. Each person occupying one square mile the size of Hoboken, New Jersey. Right. So uh, something truly to look forward to. Uh, we're told also that its walls are 200 feet high. Its composition of those walls are like a jasper stone, uh, likened unto a brilliant diamond, 
and they're garnished with these additional precious stones. And if you weren't here last time, the measurements and the descriptions, the further descriptions are provided for us in chapter 21, verses 19 and 20. Listen, this is all a part of God's new eternal age to come. Now, at the conclusion of this chapter, this book of God is complete, and this climatic revelation will terminate God's written word to man. Listen, all we need to know will have been revealed and recorded, and now uh, we just simply wait its full fulfillment. And listen, this is not some book, you know, of fiction. It's not some novel uh, leaving us in suspense, you know, waiting for the sequel to come out. It's none of that. This is God's final word to man. And so finally, we can begin to comprehend in some small measure the Lord's unspeakable gift of eternal life to sinners who had earned the wages of eternal death. But it's all about Jesus because it all centers on the person of Jesus Christ. Remember in the introductory message several months ago, the title of this book is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. So it's all about him. Our precious and loving God had a great, holy, eternal, unchangeable purpose for his creation, established in his heart before the world began. And the temporary intrusion of sin could not thwart that purpose. So finally, the time has come to renew and fulfill that purpose. The great curse has been removed from creation and the kingdom of God has come. So that sets the stage for this morning's study. Let's get into it now. Let's go on and read verses 1 through 3 here in chapter 22 of the book of Revelation. Verse 1, And he showed me, that is John, the angel showed John, who is the recorder of this book of the Bible, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Now, let's back up a little bit. So far, John has only described for us the external beauties of the city of New Jerusalem, as I've already suggested its dimensions, its walls, its gates. But now we enter into the city itself, where we receive some insight into, and this becomes our first point, this is our first point, the splendors that have been prepared for our enjoyment. Now, under this heading, let's talk about those splendors. The most prominent of all, notice there in verse 1, is God's mighty river. So write that down, God's mighty river. It's God's mighty river of clear, sparkling water coursing down from the center and apex of that uh, city where Christ's throne is, providing abundant water for every need of the inhabitants of that city. 
And this river is free of all impurities. It's sparkling in radiance. You know, it sounds like I'm uh, uh, doing a commercial for Poland Springs here, doesn't, aren't I? And, uh, but I can assure you, I promise you, that it's going to be much better than Poland Springs. So the whole earth at this time will be a well-watered paradise of abundant resources for its inhabitants, very much like it was during the days there in the Garden of Eden. So Jesus, the mighty creator, continually creating these waters, sending them forth to give perpetual life and cleansing and beauty to the city and its occupants, and then on out into the uttermost parts of the new earth. Okay, so this picture that's being painted here for us, let me ask you a question. Do you think that this is a literal uh, announcement, or is it symbolic? Well, my personal opinion is that it is uh, both. Uh, something to think about. You know, in the Old Testament, for example, as it relates to the picture of a river, in many of the Old Testament writings, the prophets, they used the picture of a river as a powerful expression of richness, of provision, and uh, peace. In the 46th Psalm, in verses 4 and 5. Here the psalmist is depicting this event for us. And in the 46th Psalm in verses 4 and 5, there we read, there is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God, that would be Jerusalem during this time, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. And God shall help her just at the break of uh, dawn. Now, a couple of commentators commenting on this particular subject said, like, for example, Joseph Seiss, in his commentary on the book of Revelation, uh, says, one of the greatest things on earth is water. There is nothing in all the world so precious to the eye and the imagination of the inhabitant of the dry, burning, and thirsty east as a plentiful supply of bright, pure, and living water. So it's just something to think about. And then Matthew Poole, in his commentary, wrote, and I quote, that this idea of the river was to let us know that in heaven there shall be no want of anything that can make the saints happy. So I believe that this picture that's being painted for us here actually has a dual application. Now, beside this river, with the water of life, notice, let's go back to our text, we also have, and under this heading, of all of what God has provided for us, the splendors that God has prepared for us in this city, we have, notice, the tree with the fruit of life there as well, according to verse 2. And it's growing in profusion over all of the earth. And this is apparently the same tree that God planted in the Garden of Eden. That's referred uh, in the book of Genesis in chapter 2 in verse 9, whose fruit possessed such remarkable life-preserving properties that God had to withdraw it from man's use after Adam's sin. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse uh, 24, so he drove out the man, and this, this 
took place after Adam and Eve had sinned and eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Remember, God had forbidden them to eat thereof, but they were tempted by Satan, and they fell into that temptation. So he drove out the man, Adam, and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, where, the, where this tree was located, and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of a life. Now, why did God do that? Because, you see, if Adam and Eve, if they would have eaten perpetually of that tree, they would have perpetually stayed in their sin. And that's the reason why God sent an angel uh, to make sure that that didn't happen. But, however, now, in this new city of Jerusalem, it is made freely available in the new earth. And notice also, one of its chief qualities, it is bearing 12 different kinds of fruit, and each carrying the same life-sustaining ingredient. It's sort of like God's fruit of the month club, if you will. That would sort of be like the equivalent of it. Now, notice also, according to what we read here in verse 2, the leaves of the tree of the life uh, have great value, serving to bring healing to the nations. Now, that word healing is misleading. A more accurate translation, a more appropriate translation, would have been health. So it should rather read serving to bring health to the nations, since it seems unlikely that the immortal peoples during that time, remember, we're given a new body conducive to that new universe that God has now given us, since it seems unlikely that the immortal peoples of the new earth would actually need healing because there's no more sickness, remember, during this time, uh, either physical or spiritual healing. So someone has suggested rather that our necessity to continually partake of this life-giving fruit and water uh, will be a continual testimony and reminder that Jesus himself is the source of all life and beauty and joy and delight. So that's probably the reasons why. Now notice also its next feature, according to verse 3, the lifelong uh, the age-long curse is gone. Now, in Genesis chapter 3, in verses 17 through 19, after an Adam and Eve uh, disobeyed God and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God pronounced a curse upon them as well as upon the earth and all of the inhabitants upon the earth. And it's recorded for us there. Let's uh, review it. And uh, let's begin there in uh, verse 17. Then to Adam he said, this is God speaking to Adam after he had uh, disobeyed, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So those of you who are complaining about having to work, you know, six days a week, you know, just to make ends meet, well, you can blame Adam for that. So when you get to heaven, you can, you know, rake him over the coals. Listen, if you, would have, if you would have either been Adam and Eve, you would have done the same, very same thing. You would have been tempted by the devil, and you would have succumbed to that temptation as well. 
Well, anyway, in verse 18, both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth, that is the, the earth, for you. You know, that, in God's original plan, it wasn't like that at all. The earth was just, you know, filled with beauty and, and, and fruitfulness, and, and it, it was all uh, there for Adam and Eve to enjoy. Remember, he commanded Adam and Eve to subdue all of the earth. After he created, everywhere he looked, he said it was good. It was out thorns and thistles, right? They didn't have to work. They could just walk around and pick the fruits off of the trees, and you know, there wouldn't have been any toil and labor in our life's experience. But anyway, this is a part of the curse. So both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. And then in verse 19, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, till you die. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. So in God's original plan, there wouldn't have even been any death. Right? Okay, so, but now I want you to think about it. Now, in this period of time, in the eternal now, there's no more death, there's no more sin, there's no more temptation. The earth and its inhabitants are henceforth to thrive in the fullest vigor forever. And none will ever age, if you can imagine that. We can't because it's something that we can't even, you know, wrap our heads around. Nothing will ever be lost. So think about it. We're about to go from thorns and thistles to eternal fruitfulness. Now, that brings us to our second point. And so if you're taking notes, write this down. Notice also there in the latter part of verse 3, we are told, and his servants shall serve him. So that becomes our second point. His servants shall serve him. And listen, there can be no higher calling or privilege than the service of the king of creation. Now, some of you may be thinking at this point, wait a second, Mike. Uh, you know, I was looking forward to just retiring, you know, during this period of, of time. But listen, it's going to be so much more exciting and, and blessed uh, during this time. Life in the future world will not just be a life of rest and singing, although it will include those things. It will be a life of productivity and teaching. For example, I believe that there will be an abundant occasion for fellowship and testimonies. I mean, every believer will have abundant time to meet and learn to know every other believer that is living there within this new city of Jerusalem. And during which time, think about it, we'll be able to visit with fellows like Noah and David and John the Baptist and Paul the Apostle. And we'll be able to share the passion, hear the testimonies of these saints. We'll be able to visit with the martyrs of the early church. And everyone, including yourselves, will have a story to tell. And we shall serve God by conveying knowledge about him throughout his creation. So those are just some of the ways that we're going to be serving the Lord during this uh, time. And then also, there may be other work for us to do as well. Eternity is before us. Infinity surrounds us. We shall have an eternity of time to explore and discover the secrets of an infinite, varied, and limitless cosmos. Space travel during this time will be a common 
Uh, perhaps each of us will be assigned an entire galaxy to explore and develop for the glory of God. You know, astronomers are telling us that there's more, you know, within the cosmos than just our own Milky Way galaxies, uh, galaxy. Uh, astronomers today are telling us that there are billions of other galaxies within the cosmos as well. So you may be assigned your own galaxy, think about it, assigned uh, to explore and develop for the glory of God. And then each and every one of us, after we do that, will be able to come back together and share with others what he or she has found and what they have accomplished, and all will rejoice uh, together. So just some of the things and some of the ways that we will be serving the Lord during this period of time. All right, let's go back to our text. Let's pick up in verse 4. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Now this conveys the ideas of during this time, remember Jesus himself, his throne will be located there in this new city of Jerusalem. So the idea of that we will be able to see his face conveys the idea of this time of intimate fellowship that we will have with the Lord, unlike anything that we've ever experienced before. It's a face-to-face kind of an experience. Uh, And then also notice, his name shall be on their foreheads. So in that day, we will be forever identified with God. C.H. Spurgeon, in his commentary, said, and I quote, To look into the face of Jesus signifies to be well acquainted with his person, his office, his character, his work. And so the saints in heaven shall have more knowledge of him, that is Jesus, than the most advanced below. As one has said, the babe in Christ, admitted to heaven, discovers more of Christ in a single hour then is known by all the divines of the assemblies of the earth upon uh, the earth presently. So just something to to think about. And then notice also there in verse 5, and there shall be no night there, there uh, need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And so we conclude The darkness of this age is uh, gone. And then in verse 6, And then he said to me, These words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. Okay, now let's jump ahead. And this brings us to our third point. Make sure that you are ready. You definitely want to make sure that you are ready so that you can enter into this new city of Jerusalem. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. 
You can listen online at oneplace.com by searching for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Venizio. Viewing our recent services can be an option as well through Vimeo. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan and looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here. You can reserve your seat and get directions at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you have any questions for us, just give us a call at 212-247-1877. We'd be honored to pray for you too, so feel free to let us know how we can do that for you. That number again is 212-247-1877. Would you like to connect with us on social media? You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just follow the links at harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today, and we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House. There's a place.